Greetings, Arlington. Welcome to Grayson 30 Live on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. My name is Ed Mellick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sal Dietrich. Sal, what's shaking today? Ed, I'm doing great, my man. We're privileged tonight to be joined by Tim Sample, CEO and co-founder of 72 Africa, a nonprofit organization committed to conflict resolution and promoting sustainable peace in Africa. You know, we see in the papers about, about ISIS in Africa, about the unrest that, that emerges, and, and we think of these things as sort of hot spots that flare up, and yet we don't hear that much about the long-term factors that bring about these events, and, and rarely, I will say, do we ever hear about creating sustainable efforts to offset these activities. And, you know, I kind of liken this to car maintenance. You know, we don't think about it until the car acts up and then it's too late. And, you know, I actually read an interesting article preparing for today's show where the U.S. was spending $9 million per day fighting ISIS. And yet the State Department is only able to spend about $5.7 million per year on civil society-led efforts to counter this type of activity. Now, 72 Africa is developing and implementing preventative programs to head off this growing influence of groups like ISIS and Boko Haram. You know, they pose a threat in Africa as well to us here in the U.S. Uh, you know, what really impressed me about Tim was his calling to this mission and how he came about coming to 72 Africa. Uh, if you have questions or comments for Tim during the show, please post them on our Twitter at uh, Grayson30 or Facebook at Grayson30, and we'll try to get to them during the show. First, though, a quick reminder of the call to action from last week's guest. We hosted Darlene Baki from Borromeo Housing, a nonprofit providing education, housing, and child development services for single young mothers in Arlington for the past 28 years. Darlene challenged us to look at these young women in a fresh, positive light. She noted how hard they work to get their education and be the best moms they can be and to become self-reliant as soon as they can. Uh, in her call to action, she challenged listeners to consider the many wonderful opportunities at small Arlington nonprofits and get involved in one that matches your interests. She also welcomed folks of all ages, from Girl Scouts to teens to adults and seniors, to contact Borromeo Housing and contribute to their mission in any way they feel drawn to serve. Darlene is a simply lovely woman and a great example of someone honoring their higher purpose and deriving a great deal of joy and satisfaction from doing so. Yeah, amen. And I will say to our guests a big thank you because uh, we received overwhelming comments uh, both on Facebook and Twitter uh, from folks who follow Darlene after the show. So great stuff. If you want to find out more about their organization and mission, please look them up at borromeohousing.org. That's B-O-R-R-O-M-E-O housing.org. You can also find information on them on our Twitter and Facebook pages at Grace in 30 As Sal mentioned, we're joined today by Tim Sample. Tim has nearly 40 years of intelligence and policy experience with government, industry, and nonprofit organizations, including a nine-year stint at the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, where he served as the staff director from June 2000 to May 2003. He's held various positions at the Central Intelligence Agency and at a variety of other senior government positions, including Deputy U.S. Negotiator for the START Treaty. And he also served in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, in 2014, he teamed with Dr. Clement, a Ghana native and founding director of the Center for Conflict Transformation and Peace Studies in Ghana, and they've together formed 72 Africa. Tim, welcome to Grace in 30. 
Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Sal. It's a, a blessed and an honor to be here. Great. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, you know, I, I will confess, Ed, that, that Tim is one of the first guests that I can say I, I've had the pleasure of knowing for some time. And, and actually, I think uh, my daughter may be in choir practice right now with Jamie getting, uh, getting some lessons. But, you know, welcome, Tim. Uh, fantastic that you could join us. Um, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about how you got created, involved in, in creating a nonprofit for peace in Africa. How did, how did that start for you? Sal, this really started with uh, a wonderful blessing for me of having developing a personal relationship with uh, Father Clement when he was here getting his doctorate uh, in conflict resolution from George Mason University. And we started talking uh, over the period of a couple years and talked about the trials and tribulations of what he was going to do when he went back to Ghana to go back to the peace center that, that he and his mentor uh, had developed uh, 14, 13, 14 years ago. And the, what that developed was a, an understanding of the challenges of uh, funding peace. It's uh, an issue where everybody understands how to wage war very few people know how to wage peace and from that relationship we started building this idea and through a various amount of circumstances we launched this uh, effort about 18 months ago yeah you know what impresses me about what you and, and father Clem are doing is you know we hear terms like conflict resolution and sustainable peace and you know it seems a little bit you know I will say like motherhood and apple pie right I mean but you know what's impressed me about what you're doing is your very direct approach the hands-on approach and it's really centered around what I would call the pillars of your program. Uh, talk to us about what's unique about 72 Africa. What's unique about 72 Africa is we work almost exclusively at the grassroots level. Um, and I'll explain that in a second, but, but what we do, you mentioned the three pillars. We bring to a community three different uh, aspects in, in our mission. The first is if they are in conflict, to help them resolve that conflict, whether it's through mediation, uh, through other efforts that, that in some ways are pretty standard, uh, but it takes an ability to bring people together and talk to get that process started. The second uh, thing that we bring is education and training, and that's key and critical. For us, one of the biggest targets to Africa's future, uh, both in terms of risk and in terms of success, are the African youth. And so we really spend a lot of time in educating African youth on peaceful ways to resolve conflict. At the, at the end of the day, you have to realize that conflict always exists. There's nothing you can do about it. But there are ways that you can react to it. You can either react violently or peacefully. And our ability to train, especially this next generation of African leaders, uh, allows for a good basis to go forward in a peaceful environment. And then what we bring to that is the stability factor. And that is, um, we have the ability, as I said, to resolve a conflict. We have the ability to educate, uh, to prevent conflict. But the real issue in Africa are millions of youth who are either not educated or even are educated, but have no job prospects. They have no hope. They have the economic conditions, especially in rural areas, are, are terrible. Um, a quick data point to give you an example. Over the last decade, uh, a country like Nigeria has had a tremendous economic boom because of their oil reserves that were discovered. The reality, though, is that affected only 10% of their population, and the number of people in poverty actually increased in that period. 
Uh, so it is really working at the grassroots that becomes important. And what we do in the stability factor is we look at economic development at that grassroots, the ability to, to help people, especially entrepreneurs, find their passion, help them realize that passion. And one of the things that we do is say, we'll help you with that if you're willing to hire and train youth so that they have hope and have a future that allows them to rely on a peaceful environment rather than sitting there waiting to be radicalized. Yeah, you, me- you mentioned a lot of these conflicts arise in rural areas where there's a youth population that's unemployed uh, and, and you know really is, is turned on to other things, potentially even just for a few dollars carrying a gun for, for someone. Um, so no, that's great. You know, um, we want to get back to these three pillars and, and, and keep that throughout the show, but you know, not, not to be negative, but why do you think so many of these peace initiatives do fail? I mean, there's there's some of this stuff, there's a book, Dead Aid, and, and some others out there talking about, you know, sort of these very large-scale efforts that have happened in Africa. What, what are your insights on that? There are a couple uh, aspects to that and a couple things that go on. Let me give you a, an example that uh, is a great story about uh, a well-meant effort um, people in, in this community talk about it uh, every once in a while. But there's a story about a, uh, a community that was going through a pretty horrendous uh, episode of malaria. And a local church group uh, in the United States heard about it, and not local to Arlington, but a church group. And um, they made the decision to help this community out. And so what they did is they raised money and bought mosquito nets for the for the entire community and, and a great noble cause. And they went over as a mission trip and delivered the mosquito nets and really had a had a tremendous impact on uh, immediate impact on the community in terms of uh, the, the outbreak of malaria and that type of thing. What isn't often talked about and what they didn't realize at the time is that when they did that, they greatly also affected a small local company in the region that was producing and repairing mosquito nets. And they were in the process of starting to hire locals because of this outbreak, because they had to increase production and everything else. And overnight, the market went away because all of a sudden everybody had these donated mosquito nets. And suddenly from that, they didn't have business anymore. And and the secondary impact of that was the business went away. And when the donated mosquito nets needed repair because they were torn, there was nobody there to do that. So right. and, and, there's a lot to this. And, and that kind of reminds me of a guest we had uh, two weeks ago when Larry Thompson was on here. He talked about the complexity of poverty in Haiti and how if you buy a farm or a tractor, sometimes he'll lay 30 people off. So it is. It's the kind of thing where you really need a sustainable program initiative. Everybody wants to kind of rush in and do something. And this is a case where, you know, you need to be in this for the long haul. And and you need to have this sort of very organized grassroots focus that you guys do in these sort of these pillars, which I think is is really critical. It's sort of the the white knight syndrome. It it is. It is. There's, uh, Ed, you and I talked about this a little previously, and, and that's another factor to this. And that is... I think it's part of human nature, uh, but people, well-meaning people who want to donate to causes tend to wait until the crisis has already happened. They wait to see the starving child. They wait to see the, the hurricane disaster. Um, they, they wait for something to happen and then donate to that. And, and that's all good, but 
they don't think about in the case of that star- starving child or the, the other issues like that, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to prevent that situation that allowed that child to starve in the first place. And so investing is pe- in peace is not something that comes naturally for people. Yeah, one of the things I think you pointed us to was a TED Talk about, you know, shut up and listen. <laughs> go, go into these areas and get to know people and, and hear from them what the issues are so that you can craft the proper solution. Could you share with the listeners the name of the, uh, the speaker on that TED Talk? Sure. If you, uh, the speaker is Ernesto Ciroli. A wonderful gentleman. I've had the opportunity to talk to him uh, on the phone. Uh, he is very passionate about passionate people. Uh, and, and his story is out, and he has a book called Ripples from the Zambezi. And it was when he was young. Um, he was with an Italian NGO. Uh, and he, it's a great story. I, I don't want to ruin it for listeners going on the TED Talk, but the very short version is they went in and decided they were going to help the Zambian people in this lush, fertile valley uh, create agriculture. And they went in and did that. And, and um, everything was growing. It was unbelievable. And, of course, they were very puzzled by why the Zambian people hadn't done this in the first place, right? Um, and what happened was first, the first thing that happened that you hear in, or read in this book is that the Zambian people weren't all that interested and so the decision was to pay them. Well, and then they would come every once in a while to get paid, but then they were paid so much, they were paid more than they might be paid in a month, so they wouldn't come for a month. Uh, so that just developed. And then when the agriculture literally bloomed and blossomed, overnight, as he tells it, hippos came out of the Zambezi River and ate everything oh, completely <laughs> gone it's a great and, story and I they all sat there and went oh my goodness look at what what happened and they turned to the zambian people goes, the hippos and the people said yes it was very said, funny that's why we don't have any agriculture it was very funny because he said compared to the other relief efforts they at least accomplished something in that they fed the hippos <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I wanted to ask you to make sure we cover how you came up with the name 72 africa if we can follow the hippo story with that, it's difficult to do. Um, 72 Africa came about, as, as uh, I said previously, I, ha- I had developed a wonderful relationship with Father Clement uh, on a very personal level, and we were talking about his future and what, and what is to be done. We started working a business plan for this, uh, for this uh, nonprofit. Weren't, we weren't quite sure where it was going or whether how far we would jump into it. And for me, uh, this became very personal in that uh, one evening uh, as I was sleeping, uh, the name 72 Africa uh, came across. And and as I told you, it was almost like somebody was standing next to the bed uh, and said this and and certainly caught my attention, but had absolutely no idea what it meant Uh, and woke up the next morning with that kind of in the back of my mind saying 72 Africa, what what in the world does that mean? And at the time, and every morning, I, I take a few minutes and read the Bible. And at the time, uh, I was plowing through, and, and it just so happened I turned to where I had left off. And the, the part that I turned to was Luke 10. Uh, and verse 1 starts out, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Uh, and he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
at later on it also says when you enter a house first say peace to this house if someone who promotes peace is there your peace will rest on them if not it will return to you and what i realized was that was our business model right and so i i um skyped with uh with father clement that morning and and said okay i'm not sure quite how to react to this but here's what happened and he said well i think our reaction is we need to launch this this business and and get going and it's going to be called 72 africa that's an amazing story that's a great story um i want to just take a quick break here and uh to give tim a little breath um you're listening to grace and 30 on weralp arlington 96.7 fm we're talking to tim sample ceo of 72 africa who has transitioned his successful career in the intelligence community into leading sustainable peace programs in africa and i wanted to ask we talked about this a little bit on the phone there are going to be people listening out there and they're going to say why do, we got a lot of problems here in america why do i care about sustainable peace in africa it's a, and it's a great question, and we get that uh, every once in a while. And, and let me, the way I answer that is to, is to talk about uh, generally why Africa. And, and in my experience uh, in national security, you have to look at the long-term effects of what's happening around the world. And there's some data points that, that I think are important. Uh, let me go through just a couple very quickly. The most important one to me is, that the sub-Saharan region of Africa will see more people joining the workforce in the next 20 years than the rest of the world combined. Mm, that's incredible. Um, and in that, there's a growing middle class today uh, in the continent uh, of one billion, uh, it's a one billion person market that pretends potential in terms of economic, government stability, and consumer potential. So that alone should make us com- pay attention to Africa. The other thing though is it doesn't come without its its risks and its challenges. Um, today there are some countries that are capitalizing already on the on the economic trends. Uh, of the 60 billion dollars US dollars um, in foreign direct investment, Chinese foreign direct investment rose 3.5 billion in 2013 with nearly every country benefiting from Chinese financial services, construction, and manufacturing. The Chinese have seen this. You know, we haven't quite seen it yet, but they certainly have. The risk with all that is, and, and this is the other factor, is that um, it doesn't affect those that much at the grassroots. And the effect that we often see is a an effect that can create conflict. Uh, Quick example, when I was in Ghana um, uh, a couple years ago, we were up in the northern region, and one of the things that was pointed out to me was that there were several families who were upset because the Chinese had gone in and cut down just entire swaths of trees, deforestation that was just eye-watering. And the issue there was not just the deforestation, which in and of itself is an issue. It was that the Chinese showed up and did this to people who had been on the land for generations. The land was given to them by the chief of their tribe, and yet the Chinese had this paper from the capital that said, yeah, you can do this to this land. So the question is, well, wait a minute. Now we're, now we're talking about uh, 
traditional authority, the chief of the tribe, and modern authority, right, the capital in Ghana. And who has the say there? And so at the grassroots level, that creates conflict, and they start not trusting the government uh, with their future. And that's not a good thing, and it's something all governments have to work on. But it, but it gives you an example of the potential for that. And the, and the last thing I would say is um, because of this, and, and think about it, not, not, not all that long ago, we created an Africa command. Clearly, we understand that Africa is important to our future regardless. We, I talked about the economic factors. The other factor is, and Sal, you said at the beginning of the show, is the, the emergence of Boko Haram and ISIS. Um, today, Ghana, one of, the, one of the most stable and peaceful countries in, in West Africa, has ISIS recruiters uh, traveling in the northern region uh, to uh, not just recruit foot soldiers, but recruit recruiters for West and East Africa. So we have this opportunity to get ahead of that. We have this opportunity to work with local communities to, to prevent radicalization and extremism um, if we can get to them in time, because the, re- the alternative will be um, that we will ultimately, for, because of national security reasons over the next decade, I believe, send troops into Africa like we wouldn't have dreamed of 10, 20 years ago. So one of our other mottos is um, our sandals in the soil today can prevent boots on the ground tomorrow. That's right. That's great. You know, t- take us, uh, talk to us about uh, these satellite peace centers that are part of your three pillars. That's the, I would call the education and training part of your mission. Um, you know, w- what's going on there? You mentioned that uh, you had this ambassador training for peace ambassadors and like 10x more people showed up that very first day, which tells you that, that locally people see a need and a thirst for this kind of activity. Talk to us about the peace centers for a minute and, and uh, how that's a, how you're trying to push that out. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's uh, two ma- major parts to that. The first is that, and this actually started uh, when Father, before Father Clement came to the United States, where we have uh, our headquarters uh, located with uh, Sikataps, which is the, in, in Damongo up in northern Ghana. Uh, and um, they de- he, he developed uh, through the process of uh, a lot of training, a lot of good support, um, satellite peace centers in which it's a train-the-trainer uh, philosophy. It's going to an area helping them out, giving them the tools, and training people, local people, to continue that effort. And the rewards have been tremendous, but it's a continued need for support. Uh, so that's one aspect of it in terms of the satellite peace centers. And that's really our, our, our business model, is not to do everything ourselves, but to work with communities to stand up their own peace centers and allow them, we'll support them, but allow them to be part of their own, uh, of their own solution. The second thing that, that uh, you just mentioned were the peace ambassadors, and that's a, that's a current program that we're trying to uh, uh, expand upon, and that is uh, there's a lot of concern right now because of the, the recent uh, uh, ISIS uh, entry into the arena uh, as well as local economic conditions and other things, where Ghana, just like the United States, is about to have presidential elections uh, in November. 
And there is now suddenly a lot of interest and concern about whether those elections will be peaceful. Uh, so what we're doing now in order to help uh, make sure they're peaceful is running programs um, about with, with youth uh, to train what we call youth peace promoters. And they, have a, they come to a workshop and then they go back to their communities and they work on uh, helping the folks that are running the elections. They, they work uh, with their peers to talk about uh, how peace is the way to go, regardless of any, uh, anybody that comes and tells you otherwise. Uh, and we do have that issue because, for example, uh, both uh, major political parties have kind of quietly formed militias. Um, so we have that issue. Some of those people are also taken away to a, a week-long camp and become youth peace ambassadors. And then they go in with their peers and they create their own programs to make sure everything's at peace. Okay, and, and so you've got these programs, you've got the peace ambassadors, you've got the peace satellite portions. You told me about a, a honeybee program you guys are trying to do out, out in the, uh, the rural areas where you're forming a cooperative and where folks can, can simply come together as a communities and sell this honey in the city for like a four or five X profit over what they would do. What are some of your uh, fundraising goals as you're trying to roll all this out? Because this, uh, you know, it's very sustainable, it's programmatic, but what are some of your fundraising goals over the next 12 months? Over the next time, one of the biggest fundraising goals over the next 12 months is um, to raise somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two million dollars. Uh, part of that will certainly go into infrastructure, and that's not always a popular thing to talk about, but the fact is that in order to expand, especially in the type of work that we do, you have to have an expanded infrastructure uh, on the ground with these communities. But we're also uh, always looking for partners uh, to link up with these local entrepreneurs. And, and the Honey Bee uh, uh, Co-op is a good example where they came to us and said, look, we want to go from this little fledgling thing. We want new technology, if you will. Um, they didn't have uh, hives that they harvested from. They, in essence, let bees uh, build, build their hives in the, in the bushes, and then they burn the bushes. Uh, right, you told me that it, it kills the honey. It's kill, another one. The kills, hippo kills hippo the problems. honey exactly. And so what we've done is, and and actually in partnership with a with a area church here in Virginia, um, uh, Holy Family down in Dale City, they have uh, given us some money to help this co-op get off the ground and go from this little fledgling episode to a business that employs youth and trains them in how to produce honey. And then we'll help them as we continue um, with not only expanding this, but helping them with a distribution system, you know, building a website for them. That's all part of this local economic thing. But it all started with the passion of the man uh, who wants to do this co-op. And, and that was the key. That's always the key. Yeah, I love the local touch, you know, the, sort of the boots or you know, sandals in the soil type thing that you talked about. Um, and it, it just amazes me how that is so so key in what you're doing here every day. So, so we've got about a minute and a half, and I wanted to make sure we, we asked you what your call to action would be for our listeners, both a sort of a general call to everyone who's listening and then a call to folks who are listening and this particular cause resonates in their heart. Uh, Ed, thank you. My general call kind of goes with what I now call the grace and giving. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the Bible, one of the things uh, coming out of the Old Testament I think is a fairly common 
uh, description of grace, which is the unmerited favor of God toward man. I want to I want to expand that through efforts like this because what I want to talk about is the the unmerited favor of man toward man. Look for a cause. Look for don't just write a check because you see something happening. And it's going to be a temporary fix. Look to go find the root causes of those fixes and and support people that are trying to help that uh, and solve that issue because that's really the only way that we're going to get ahead of this in the long term. Uh, and then, and then, obviously, uh, one of the other things is help us change the conversation to get to prevention rather than reaction. Uh, very quickly, we're going to be hosting a conference locally here in Arlington. That you can find out on our website www.72africa.org uh, in September, and that's called Building Sustainable Peace, and that's going to focus on uh, on how we change that conversation. I hope people register and come and get involved. That's great. Yeah, what a great opportunity for our local listening uh, audience here in the D.C. area. Well, Tim, uh, man, time flies. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights. Uh, want to continue the conversation on sustainable peace in Africa. Host you again. Actually, uh, Ed and I want to extend an invitation to have you come on and help co-host an entire series uh, around Africa and sustainable peace because this is a big topic coming at us here in the D.C. area. Um, if you'd like to provide feedback on the show today, uh, you can hit us at uh, Twitter at Grayson30 or Facebook at Grayson30 or email Grayson30 at gmail.com. Um, be sure to, to visit the 72 Africa site again at 72africa.org. Next week, we'll be hosting Andy Semmel, the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, who now works as a volunteer at AFAC, the Arlington Food Assistance Center, a 25-year-old nonprofit that's been providing supplemental groceries to our Arlington neighbors who cannot afford enough food to meet their basic needs. You can check them out at AFAC.org. This is at AFAC.org. This is Ed Mellick and Sal Dietrich signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and please be sure to tune into Grace. Good night.